Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 22nd. Hope all of you listeners enjoyed your Father's Day weekend. Certainly for me, this weekend was all about my father. His birthday was on Friday, obviously Sunday, the day we honor him and all of the amazing things he has done for both me, my brothers, our entire family, for us growing up. Uh, I can only hope you listeners feel as fondly about your fathers or whether you are a father. Uh, in case you are, your children feel as fondly about you as I do about my dad. Uh, obviously, in this time of quarantine, uh, spending time with our families, thinking about our families honoring the relationships we have with them more important now than ever and so I do hope all of you listeners again enjoyed your Father's Day weekend but you know it was an action-packed weekend from the professional tennis world in terms of the storylines for us to follow certainly uh, there was no rest in the professional tennis world again because things still rocking and rolling new storylines continuing to emerge uh, of course the biggest storyline on top of them all right now the fact that Grigor Dimitrov uh, testing positive for COVID-19 after he played this weekend's Adria Tour Novak Djokovic's exhibition event in Serbia. Uh, of course, there were many high-profile players participating in that event, people such as Dominic Team and Novak Djokovic, Alex Virev, Borna Chorch, Filip Krajinovic, so many more, uh, all participating. And we've all seen the photos over the past couple of weeks, these guys playing in recreational soccer events, playing pickup basketball with one another, uh, participating with full crowds, and of course, playing events in front of full crowds as well and you know it was something they had been taking heat from from the beginning of course for Novak Djokovic you have to say he was following every guideline put in place by the Serbian government the Serbian government gave him permission to hold this event and so of course you know everyone knew the risks when they were coming but Grigor Dimitrov testing positive certainly uh, causes everyone to pause a bit especially you know given the news over the past week that the U.S. Open the French Open becoming closer and closer to finalizing, uh, making it official that they their events will be played in 2020. And of course, last week we talked to Gil Gross, Ben Rothenberg, so many others about that U.S. Open decision, about what those details, what those safety precautions, regulations are going to look like. Uh, this makes everyone think about you know those exact things once again. And obviously, uh, what did the Adria Tour do right? What did they not do right? What can we learn from this experience to ensure that the U.S. Open can be played and conducted in a safe manner, ensuring the health of all of the participants, whether it be players or tournament volunteers, lines people, whatever it may be. And so today, you know, to talk about, again, this Grigor news, to talk about its implications, to talk even more about the U.S. Open making that decision to carry ahead and what an adjusted U.S. Open is going to look like, we bring on a returning guest here to our Cracked Rackets podcast. You guys may know him as a former Boston College Eagle, of course, the current coach of Steve Johnson and Nicole Gibbs, a guy who is a contributor for our friends at Tennis Channel 
Mark Lucero joining us on the show again today to talk about the biggest storylines going on right now in professional tennis because, again, there are so many of them. And, you know, we talk about the U.S. Open, the Grigor stuff. We also, I wanted to pick his opinion. He's a guy who's seen coach tennis at all levels, whether it be college, pros, juniors. And so I wanted his opinion on these exhibition events we've seen, what he thinks the place is for these, you know, more laid back, more fun, more, I suppose, what risk-centric, I don't know if that's the right word, but I suppose, you know, progressive forms of tennis, where their place is for them in the usual tennis calendar. And so it's a wonderful conversation. Of course, it's always fun to have Mark on the pod. Clearly, he thinks about all of these issues facing tennis, uh, thinks about them in depth as well, doesn't want to answer questions unless he's actually got a nuanced answer, something to offer. Uh, and by the way, you know, that gets a little frustrating for me because I like to ask questions that are in the moment, uh, that are spur of the moment, that require Require as little nuance as possible. And so, you know, that's what makes him such a fun guest. So really excited for all of you listeners to hear this conversation to kick off the week. Of course, the reason we are able to do these conversations, have these podcasts day in, day out, week in, week out here on the Crack Rack, here at Crack Rackets, here on our mini break podcast, I should say, is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has been supporting tennis players across the globe by serving as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of product available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with all of their equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of those products by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. You do that, you're going to want to order yourself up some stuff to save yourself an additional 15% to ensure you get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 and to guarantee yourself a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Ball Use our promo code CR15 as well to get all of those perks. Also to let them know that their friends here at Cracked Racket sent you there. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And, of course, we appreciate all of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. We'd also ask that, you know, we're all making our returns to the tennis court, right? We want to do it in as safe and a healthy way as possible. But if you are able to do so, you know, you don't want to let the shape you're in be the reason you're not getting back out there. And all of us obviously have had to adjust our fitness regimens during this quarantine period. We can't be going to open gyms and, you know, we don't have the state-of-the-art gym facilities in our house. But, you know, we can still handle the way we control our nutrition. We can still handle those sorts of aspects of our life. And, of course, uh, our friends at Aerobar are ensuring that all tennis players out there have a tennis-specific energy bar they can turn to to get the best out of their nutrition to ensure that their body is operating at peak performance for where when they are on the tennis court. And of course, we've had so much fun uh, doing our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on nutrition and fitness in professional tennis uh, with our friends at Aeropar. We've had conversations with guys like Jay Berger, Bjorn Fertangelo, Richard John Menzing of the McEnroe Academy, and you know uh, Michael Russell as well. All great conversations, and they all stress nutrition uh, you know, and the fitness regimen, the work you're putting in off the court just 
just as important as the work you do on it as well. So go check out our friends at Aerobar. Use the promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your purchase of the only tennis-specific energy bar out there. Aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACKED15. All right. With that being said, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Mark Lucero. Joining us on the podcast today is a returning guest here to our Cracked Rackets podcast. You, of course, know him from his appearances on Tennis Channel, a noted professional tennis coach, coach currently of Steve Johnson and Nicole Gibbs, and of course, the world's greatest burrito consultant, Mark Lucero. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I uh, want to congratulate you guys on the Cracked Rackets event uh, last weekend. Um, I was following the results over here. Um, so great job, you guys. No, oh, I appreciate it. You see, I'm supposed to flatter you. Uh, I'm supposed to give you all these compliments. Last time I called you the most handsome. Once you've entered the pod, you know, the third, the fourth time, the compliments stop, and it's sort of like, hey, Mark, how are you? Uh, but for you to say that, obviously, very much appreciated on our end. And yeah, I mean, I know I speak for all of us, and, you know, we are recording this podcast Sunday night, and obviously there was a big piece of news related to ongoing tennis that we will discuss uh, immediately. But it was nice. I mean, it feels like a millennium ago and I'm you know thinking now I'm like I would never trust myself to be outside but it was so great to be back in that tennis environment and I'm curious for you have you been able to get back out on the court at all uh practicing for about you know maybe three weeks now um we've been hitting mainly we I mean myself and, and Stevie uh and Peter Smith um we've been mainly working out at private courts um I think it's a really nice way for us to avoid other people. It's nice to play in some settings that these are, there's two, there's two homes we've been going to. They're pretty beautiful uh, settings. So, you know, we go around the back, we go on the court, we do our work, you know, I have my wipes in the bag and I have my hand sanitizer and all of us are pretty good about, you know, taking the proper precautions. Um, so it's been kind of nice to go back into a routine and, you know, have a place to be in the morning and uh, we feel like I have a little bit of purpose, but, um, you know, not going to any crowded clubs, uh, tennis clubs or anything like that. Um, not to be confused with nightclubs, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been back in the tennis courts and it's nice to get out there and hit the balls, that's for sure. Oh, no, without question. Yeah, we were all appropriately social distance. I gave the same speech to every player. I'd go up and I'd say, you know, here's the format, two out of three sets. We are playing with ad scoring. We are playing, you know, take two on lets. And then I'd also say, obviously, given the circumstances, no kissing, no licking. Biting's acceptable under certain circumstances. But, you know, be, you know, keep in mind, try to keep your distance on the changeovers. If a ball rolls over, use your racket. I got laughter on the no licking, but yes to biting. I would say 85% of the time in case you're running you know taking the pulse of the tennis universe right now so it was a win for me um but yes to your point just in general being back out on the court I'm sure that's great I also feel like the sanitation aspect the idea of wiping everything down taking all of the precautions those are here to stay right much like you want players to build the habits of hey you know warm up for five to ten minutes get some light running and get some stretching in before you actually start hitting balls I feel like it's also hey make sure you sanitize down the rackets make sure everything you know it's a clean space that's part of the routine as well i was a germaphobe to begin with even before all this <laughs> and so this sort of uh plays right into some weaknesses of mine so yeah so i you know i like getting there early and wiping down the bench and 
wiping the net post and, you know, any of these kind of sort of common areas that we tend to, uh, you know, to touch. And obviously we've learned a little bit more about the disease that's more likely to be transmitted via, you know, the air than any common surfaces. So, you know, just trying to be mindful and, and uh, you know, do things without going overboard, but just taking some common sense precautions. Yeah, I feel like Peter and Steve are, uh, Stevie are pretty touchy, so this must be tough for them. Like, you know, through all the years, I feel like now they've got a very loving relationship. I'll manage to get out there without, you know, uh, no kissing, so uh, we're doing our best. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on today for a number of reasons, originally when we were texting, it was to talk about the U.S. Open, to talk about, you know, the feasibility and the reasons behind playing that event, to talk about why the USDA would have made the decision to carry on in, in an abbreviated form, no uh, juniors events, no mixed doubles, no wheelchair doubles initially, try and keep everything quarantined and bubbled in New York and play Cincy there the week before as well. But then obviously everything changed today and we got news, I think it was around 2, 3, maybe 4 p.m. I don't know, you lose track of these announcements at this point in time, but the point is Earlier today, Grigor Dimitrov had pulled out of the Adria uh, Tour events, just citing fatigue, citing illness, was not going to play today. They were scheduled to play the final between Novak Djokovic and Andrei Rublev. Uh, but then Grigor Dimitrov announces on his Instagram that he had tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, he had obviously been competing in the event as recently as Friday. He has been seen, as you alluded to, uh, participating in all of the off-court activities as well, whether it be basketball and it was obviously full contact basketball so he's touching and knocking hands and dapping up and hugging all of his fellow players and you know the sweat's going everywhere he's part of all of these events he's out in public he's a part of these speaking tours he's interacting with fans uh, and then he tests positive and then they canceled the final for the event and now there's a lot of speculation there's a lot of discussion and there's you know at the time when they first announced the initial uh, what the Adria tour was going to look like there was hesitation, of course, because there's been hesitation surrounding so many of these events. But in particular, it did seem to be the fact that they were willing to play crowd or willing to entertain crowds there, that there wasn't going to be distance between all the fans and the seats, that it was pretty it felt pretty regular, pretty normal. The Adria Tour event didn't seem to have the sort of, I suppose, preventative measures, the sort of regulations that are going into trying to play things like the U.S. Open that even, you could argue, have gone into, uh, you know, Patrick Mortelou's ultimate tennis showdown as well, where they're testing the players and there's distance and, you know, the crowds are at a minimum. And, you know, it's very... it. I, I've been reading my mentions too frequently, and I made the mistake of doing a podcast with Ben Rothenberg. And let me just tell you folks, never – well, you should always do a podcast with Ben Rothenberg, but you should also never do one one because it's going to talk a lot. And, um, you know, I like to talk a lot too as you're learning through this monologue, Mark. Um, but, you know, I, I happen to receive some of the vitriol he gets on Twitter, and one of the sticking points that's kind of stuck with me was they were like, you know, for you to say in you being in the U.S. where the numbers for COVID-19 cases are worse than anywhere else – outside of maybe Brazil in the world, it's kind of hypocritical for me to say, oh, are they taking proper precaution in Serbia? But I would ask the same question, I would hope our listeners know, of any event held here in the U.S. as well. And I don't think we've seen a single tennis event, despite there being you know tons of exhibition-style matches being played, nothing to the level of the Adria Tour. And so let's start there. And that, that long rant was to set the scene for the listeners, Mark. But 
Grigor testing positive. What is your reaction to this, uh, you know, this piece of news? What are your thoughts on the Adria Tour looking back, given that we now know Grigor tests positive after being a part of it for the past two weeks? Number of thoughts. My first one, obviously, is, um, you know, I, I have a, a high degree of empathy for, you know, Grigor. No one wants anyone to be sick. Um, I feel like there's been a... Through, you know, through this entire pandemic, there's been this sort of, the, the whole issue has become so polarized and it's become political, which is unfortunate because I don't think there's anything political about being sick or getting sick. Um, and there's almost this reaction when people do things or flout the rules and end up getting sick. There's like this good for that, you know, like they deserved it reaction, which I'm going to try to stay away from. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we there's just so much we don't know. We don't know when, when he contracted it we don't know if you know who transmitted it we don't know if you know there's just so much unknown so i my reaction is you know when did this happen when did he contract it was it when he was at the player party when he was at the tournament was it somewhere in between you know we know that there's a period of incubation we know there's a period uh there's a lag time between you know the contraction and when the symptoms first appear and we know that there's people who can asymptomatically spread it and so that's one of the things obviously about this disease that's been so difficult to you know to to pinpoint just because we you know these asymptomatic shedders you know we don't really have a way of knowing who those are unless there's widespread testing and then with contact tracing you know we can sort of trace back and so you know obviously the the tour has come out and made statements that everyone that Grigor has been in contact with, you know, they're testing, um, you know, there was a statement from Novak's brother saying that no one else has symptoms, which, you know, I don't necessarily believe I'm not saying he's lying, but I, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I, I just, I feel bad for Grigor. It shows just, um, you know, the whole stigma around the tour was just, it was, it seemed to be such a brazen disregard for, uh, conventional, you know, maybe common sense precautions that people around the world were taking and they seem to flout, uh, you know, and that, you know, again, comes on the heels of Novak talking about, you know, the conditions for a potential U.S. Open being too extreme and these things. So, you know, the whole thing just, uh, it's a bad look, you know what I mean? It's a bad look for, you know, for these guys, it's a bad look for the president of the player council, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, nobody does anything to set anyone up to fail. I don't think these guys had a tour saying, yeah, we're going to do this and we don't really care if anyone gets sick. I don't think that was the case. I think it's pretty unfortunate. I'm sure that people in Serbia were excited to have tennis, excited to see some of the best players in the world in front of them. And, you know, it's just, uh, it just goes to show that we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to dealing with this, um, you know, with this pandemic. Yeah, and uh, to your first point, I I could not echo that sentiment enough. I I think by people now coming out and criticizing the event, criticizing Djokovic, there's this perception that they're saying, ha ha, I told you so. That is not the case at all. I don't think anyone was rooting for this Adria Tour to fail. In fact, quite the opposite. Some people probably were. (laughs) Well, that's fair. Let me say, I think the majority of people, I think the people I would want to interact with were not rooting for anything to fail. You know, obviously, but it was just an acknowledgement that, hey, uh, this doesn't seem right. This seems like they are flawed, you know, as 
as you mentioned, sort of disrespecting these regulations. It's a slap in the face. And for Novak Djokovic, who, as you mentioned, this is the president of the ATP Player Council. This is a man who, beyond that position, beyond the fact that he's the number one ranked player in the world, who sets an example for millions, not just tennis players, but, you know, in Serbia, he is a cultural icon for so many. He is someone, a role model. We should also be clear that the government of Serbia uh, okayed the event. You know what I mean? They okayed crowds and they okayed all the other stuff. So, you know, technically speaking, they were going by the regulations of the Serbian government that they had in place in spite of, you know, rising COVID cases. But, you know, but yeah, to both of our points around the world, uh, there were a lot more strict um, precautionary measures being taken place. Yeah, and it's just the the point is, why do it like this? This was unnecessary. This was not needed. And of course, it was great. I'm not going to lie. Did I tune in? Absolutely. I was watching Rublev and Zverev and Djokovic and all of these guys compete. And I apologize if I left any names out. But, you know, Chilich and there was more Chorich, more and more and more. And it was exceptional tennis. And it was great to see Dominic Team out there as well and Dimitrov, but it it was the off-court activities. It was the need to go out and play this public basketball game amongst one another, and the need to go out and play soccer, and the need to go out and interact with fans in a time when it's just not guaranteed to be safe to do so. And you're right, you know, the government gave the okay, and he's functioning within the confines of the law. And I know that sounds very extreme, but it's like he's doing his job. He followed all of the regulations to a T. You know, this is unfortunately something that it seems, though, could have been avoided. And that's the thing. It's why not take the additional steps? You see the U.S. Open going through each and every, you know, rule and each and every regulation to ensure that they are doing their absolute most to minimize the risk in playing the event this year. And this event didn't do that. And it's just, we are all so preoccupied. Preoccupied is the wrong word. We are also, I suppose, we all want professional tennis to return in 2020. Players, fans, coaches, tournament organizers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By playing this event in this sort of carefree manner, it just makes it less likely that that's going to happen. And that's why this is so enraging. It's just maybe this couldn't have been avoided. Maybe Grigor, even if more uh, precaution was taken, would have contracted it anyways. But it just, as you mentioned, it was the recklessness that was flaunted in our faces. And that just, it, it, it just was unnecessary. Element of insensitivity to it also um you know i remember early i remember mid-pandemic uh you know the rock is one of my favorite instagram followers uh, <laughs> he, he you know he, he did a post saying that he that one of the reasons that he hadn't been posting you know videos of his workouts in the gym was that he didn't feel it was appropriate when he would be in it you know he would be putting videos in his gym when people around the world didn't have access to their gyms anymore and he just didn't think it was right and, and there's a little like this you know this whole thing kind of smacks a little bit of that um you know with the videos from the soccer game and everyone hugging each other and like you know the, the nightclub stuff with the shirts off and everyone dancing up and down like just you know I, I feel like there's very few people that are out sort of living that life right now and there are certain hot spots in the u.s where they are doing that and i think the numbers have, have followed um you know i just i wish i think if everyone you know again there's no way to predict but my my personal take is I wish everyone would buckle down and we can sort of control this thing and get back to normal as soon as possible. I mean, I think everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants tennis to be back. Everyone wants an open economy and things back to normal, but we all just want to do it safely. So 
Yeah, and uh, and again, we are pro Adria Tour. You know, playing the tennis, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the extracurricular activities that I think we both disagree with. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So I think we can leave that topic there. But again, you know, Grigor testing positive, as you mentioned, we are wishing him immediate health, you know, and we hope he gets through this. We hope he's able to recover in time to play a potential U.S. Open. And we are hoping, you know, Djokovic's brother is correct, that none of the other players uh, will exhibit any symptoms, that they will all be okay. But Another thing to keep in mind, and this is something I want to keep stressing, is even if these athletes, if they get COVID-19, are more likely to be okay than the rest of the population, it's that they then become carriers of the disease. And that's the thing to keep emphasizing is everyone has family. Everyone has loved one. as Everyone has people in their life who aren't going to be as, you know, uh, I suppose predisposed to being okay if they get the disease. There may be someone in your life with a pre-existing condition or whatever it may be, and that's where the danger of these events come in introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com and I suppose that's still the scene to set as we transition here to talk about the U.S. Open, Mark, because, you know, the, the the big story coming out of last week is it seems like the ATP, the WTA, the players, they are all, the USDA, all systems go in trying to get this year's U.S. Open played. And they got the green light from Governor Cuomo in New York as well to play the event now, to add to everything, you know, to try and create this sense of a bubble feel. Uh, the USDA also moved the Western and Southern Open this year to New York to the Billie Jean King Tennis Center uh, to play those events over a three-week stretch. And as I mentioned earlier, they removed the qualifying aspect of the event. They took out the mixed doubles. They took out the juniors event. They're trying to minimize as, you know, trying to keep it to as few people as possible needed in this bubble over the course of the three weeks. And there were other various guidelines as well to try and ensure safety and health for all the players, volunteers, participants, organizers in the event. Uh, Let's just start with the first question, Mark. Your thoughts on the USTA, on the US Open, you know, your review of their performance in trying to execute this year's US Open thus far. I give them straight A's across the board. Uh, I, I really, my hat's off to Stacey Allister and Eric Budrak and um, everyone else on their team who has really, they've really worked their butts off to make this event happen. Um, my personal opinion is that sports need to try to play this year. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think I think it would be a really bad look for tennis if other sports played and tennis did not. Um, I think tennis is really smart um, with their idea about making the bubble, you know, putting Cincinnati in New York. There's no reason to play Cincinnati in Cincinnati um, if there's not going to be any fans there. So playing it in New York, I think, is really smart. Keeping the players, you know, make, making the bubble at the TWA hotel and, you know, keeping them confined to the hotel and the site. It's a little bit, you know, yeah, it's it's tight. It's not the ideal situation, but we're not in ideal times. And I think that's the best way to keep the players safe because, you know, we, we can see obviously what happens when you don't have a tight bubble. Um, you know, basketball is trying to do a similar thing. You know, the other sports, baseball is fighting against that idea. And I think that's one of the reasons I think baseball is not going to play because we've already seen this weekend. Um, 
three of the spring training facilities were shut down. Actually, all of them were shut down, but three of them had minor outbreaks um, because, you know, it's not a tightly confined uh, space. So, you know, again, going back to the USTA, I think they've done a great job. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely unfortunate for the players who are in qualities of players who would play in, in you know, in a normal size doubles draw, the juniors, the wheelchair players. I am definitely sympathetic to all of their cases because that's something that they all look forward to. Um, I don't think it's fair. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say it's not right, but I just, you know, it's unfair. And no matter how they did it, um, I think someone would be left in the cold. And I think this is, you know, one of the only ways to make it happen this year. And I think, you know, I think tennis needs to keep its media footprint. You know, if we're in the fall and basketball is playing and football is getting started and tennis is dark, like, what does that mean for tennis's future value in the media space and for advertising? Like, you know, I think uh, we need to sort of keep our foothold and obviously try to build it. But, you know, if there's no U.S. Open, I think you and I have texted about this before, like, there's no tennis on a major network until the ATP finals. And at that point of the year, people are kind of tuned out from tennis, a lot of them. So, um I think, uh, yeah, I think it's critical that we get the tennis uh, started, and I'm really excited that the USDA has uh, made it happen. So I have a couple of points off of that I just want to ask you about. Let's start with, because we can get to the qualities aspect as well, and, you know, I've had I've talked about that a little bit on this podcast before, so, you know, we may go over some topics that you've heard already, listeners, but these are the biggest stories in tennis, and, you know, I always appreciate hearing your perspective, Mark. I have stolen your outline for a basic, uh, universal basic income in tennis, how everyone yes. gets a basic <laughs> income based on their starting point, and then every win you accumulate is additional salary. I'm all in on that idea uh it will be one of my advocates you know the one of the causes i advocate for throughout my tennis media career until it happens uh just to give you a little bit of props you deserve it so as we say on a different show hey great shot to you um but just you know to start at a different point you talk about the importance of you know you started with cincinnati moving or cincinnati moving western and southern to new york and having the players in one area for three weeks and really trying to consolidate that bubble aspect of this event isn't it hypocritical for the ATP and the WTA to agree to allow events in Washington, elsewhere around the world, the week before the U.S. Open, or the week before Cincinnati, I should say, before implementing that bubble? Shouldn't the first event, if it's truly the bubble that they're concerned about, it, minimizing the exposure at other events for all of these players, shouldn't the first event back be in, in New York. I just, I don't understand, you know, from a competition perspective, because as you mentioned, tournaments need to happen. TV need, you know, TV revenue needs to be generated. Uh, gate receipts aren't going to be generated. So TV revenue needs to be generated for these players in our sport to make money this season. But it just seems a little bit hypocritical. It seems like a, a needless, you know, uh, risk, I suppose. It just seems like something that could have been avoided to truly protect these players, get them straight to the bubble. And I don't know that I love the decision to play an event before, and I love the City Open. You know, we got the chance, I, I've said this story before, so I apologize to listeners, but our club tennis team got to play a tournament my senior year at the City Open courts because they're public courts in D.C., and we got to play the championship match on stadium. And guess what? We won that match. Um, but anyways, that's, I suppose, a me issue. Uh, but the point being, it just seems like an unnecessary risk in my mind, Mark. Congratulations for that victory. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my biggest concern, obviously, when it comes to, like, how are we going to make this all happen, my concern is, okay, now can we make it happen safely? 
So for me, like the biggest thing actually that I've been saying almost this whole time when we're talking about tennis was like, yeah, but what about the travel? But like, how are we going to get from A to B and not, you know, expose ourselves? Because it's all about keeping your circle tight, you know? So exactly. um, my guess, and this is only a guess, is my guess is that there Well, okay, I'm going to back up. So right now, DC is on for the men and it's not on for the women. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, okay. So for the women, the first tournament they're playing, I'm assuming most people aren't going to play Palermo, but most people are going to go to play uh, Cincinnati first for the women. Mm-hmm. Right? So that bubble's intact. And again, okay. in order to in order to enter the bubble, I believe the guideline that I saw on the fact sheet was that you needed to have two negative COVID tests to enter the bubble. Okay. So, By the way, though, Palermo is on the board, and there will be players who, you know, ranked 70, 80, 90, who will probably still get into the U.S. Open, who will choose to play there just out of necessity. I don't think there's going to be many. So, you know, Washington's historically been a tournament that's uh, primarily, that's very American-heavy, especially in the women's side, because the women's side is an international event. On the men's side, I think it's a 500, so you get a little bit better field, stronger field. Mm-hmm. Um I, you know, I'm not sure how many European, you know, I'm not sure how many Europeans are going to come over and play DC and then stick around, you know, obviously to play Cincinnati in New York. I think most players will probably come over and play Cincinnati first. So, you know, again, I understand your point, but however, I think it's mitigated by the fact that, um, you know, you're going to need two negative tests to enter the US Open, the New York bubble. And I think, you know, I think Mark Ein has worked his butt off to make it happen for the guys and to put on an event. Um, I think a lot of guys are excited to play. They're excited about the jobs that week, excited about playing for money and playing tournaments that matter. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's perfect. Like ideally, you know, yeah, we'd play maybe, you know, four tournaments in a row at one site and then maybe take a break. And then a couple weeks later, play another three or four at one site. But, you know, if we're looking at the fall calendar, like, does it make sense to play Madrid, Rome, Paris? You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, I'm looking at this first little part of the calendar um, as an island on its own, and I think uh, I think it's the least of, um, you know, it, it's I think it's about as good as it could be because you know you take the Acela up from DC to New York, and you know we're good to go. We can have like a whole <laughs> little call, you know, yeah, you can have just a uh, a train car with only a couple guys in it. I don't think the Acela will be packed and. Uh, I think it's better than going to an airport, that's for sure. You know, believe me, if Dalton hears this part of the podcast, Cracked Rackets will get into the transportation business for the next three weeks just so we work on transporting players from the city open uh, to D- uh, to New York. But, yeah, first of all, to your point, credit to Mark Ein, to the City Open team. Again, it's a phenomenal event. It sucks that there won't be a women's event this year. Uh, the key thing we're going to continue to stress, and we're going to have to if we want pro tennis to return, there will need to be compromises across the board and concessions from groups and concessions from players. And that's not, you know, there's no denying that. I just think you, there's no need to risk it. Why a lot, you know, why give the players an opportunity? Why even offer them that choice? There's no need to, if you're really trying to minimize risk, just go straight into Cincinnati, straight into the U S open. Now, to your point again, and that this is the flip side of that, what about everyone else? What about all those other players who want playing opportunities? What about those players who rely on events like the City Open, uh, like, uh, as you mentioned, Palermo, to get those extra points or prize money or whatever it may be? And by the way, we just want pro tennis to return. Don't we want there to be more events, as many events as possible? And yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It really sucks. It's a really tricky time. We've stressed that throughout. That's obvious. I mean, I... I 
again, I, I totally acknowledge your point, and to a T, if you're going to play events, playing the city open the week before, you're right. It's you know the expo- exposed risk at that point. I don't know how bi- how much more exposed you can be, especially because there aren't going to be fans. Uh, but it's just an interesting risk, and you know that sort of gets to again playing more events and. The next uh, topic I want to transition to is the compromises we have to make because, as you mentioned, another compromise that had to be made, no qualifying, no juniors, no mixed. And it does sound like, and I, I don't know, I ate too many Reese's before this, I think. I'm just I'm feeling them all as I'm trying to talk. But, um, you yeah, know, so before for, we got on this call, but, you know, dramatic, ma- and magically they went away. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> you know, I do what I do. Um, but, you know, but the idea of all of these players and, you know, the Mitchell Krugers of the world who are obviously upset because they're not going to get the chance to play the U.S. Open, it really does come down to, and I want to keep stressing this point, it's either make that concession or the event probably doesn't happen right from our understanding um you know i know the u.s open modeled a bunch of different scenarios i know the i guess what all these sports are looking at are are like how few people can we have involved you know at one time in order to you know in order to mitigate risk and the compromise that the u.s open came up with was you know a main draw singles only and paying the players that would have been in qualifying, you know, $10,000 each to, uh, as a, you know, sort of, um, as a compromise in which, you know, it's not terrible because it, in some sports, you know, the players who aren't playing aren't, aren't getting paid. Uh, I can think of like minor league baseball, like so individual clubs have made, you know, their own choices and some players have stepped in to help pay for the minor leaguers who aren't playing baseball if baseball comes back. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, like it's a real it's a real bummer uh, because qualies are, you know, probably some of the best matches of the tournament. And like watching last round qualies is amazing. And then, you know, inevitably someone gets, you know, someone qualifies and makes a run or pushes some seed in the first round. And it's really compelling. It's a really compelling drama, really compelling action. And um, gosh, to qualify for a Grand Slam is a freaking unbelievable accomplishment. And we're, we're not going to have those stories this year, which is a bummer. But... Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a perfect scenario, and if we're trying to come up with perfect scenarios, we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna not play. That's what I think. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it right there. Compromise is going to be key, and some of my favorite first rounders, and I guess one of them was a wild card. But seeing the Ty Kwiatkowski's of the world play Misha Zverev and take him to five, or Tommy Paul comes through qualifying and has Andreas Seppi on the brink, only to lose to him, but just that moment and all these different things. You're right. As a fan, it's going to suck to not have that experience. But if you want the event to be played. You know, things have to be uh, compromised. Things have to go away. You have to minimize the risk as much as possible. And again, this gets back to the U.S. Open sort of changing the regulations. Initially, it was, okay, we're going to try and keep all of the players at a couple of hotels and try and keep them there. And now it's, well, you know, we, we're going to offer that option, but we you, you don't have to opt into that. If you want private housing, you can. And it was, oh, no player boxes. And now it's, okay, actually, you can have some players uh, or some members of your team in your box i guess right you know at the end by the time it's mid-august by the time they're actually playing this event things could be so much more uh so different than they are right now in terms of the numbers in terms of where we're at in terms of the regulations we have in place but i i don't know i just 
it's it's the fact that nothing is concrete, nothing is set, and I suppose that's always going to be the case during a pandemic like this, during a, a first time you know in tennis history sort of moment. Uh, but it is concerning. It just makes me think because let's say you're playing the U.S. Open and they have announced that if a player tests positive, they're just going to remove that player from the event. But let's say it's the round of 16 and someone tests positive and that player had been interacting with others and been hitting with them on the practice courts and all of these different things, you know, all tournament long. I don't know how they continue the event. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unlike anything that we've seen before, you know, right now. Right now, we only know so much, and we're going to continue to learn more about this this disease as the days go by. It seems like things are things are so fluid, and things are changing so quickly from day to day and week to week. And you know, obviously, the the doctors and the scientists who are studying it are, are just you know learning more, and we're going to have a better idea as we get closer. This this conversation could could be entirely moot in two weeks or in a month if if things get worse uh, and they decide the risk is too great or. You know, say say all these freaking players in the you know the Baltics or the Balkans um, are sick. Like you know, then we have another decision to make. Like, geez, if we're missing all these guys, like you know, uh, the, you know, no one player makes a tournament, but a bunch of players make a tournament. So, yeah. um, you know, we just have to sort of stay tuned and keep an eye on things and see how they progress. And a lot could change. I mean, the, the regulations in New York could change. We could get to the point where. You know, who knows where the U.S. Open loosens up things even more and maybe there's more guests allowed or or whatever it is. But I think right now everyone's making decisions based on the information that we have in this moment. And, you know, for me, I think trying to get a product out there is where we need to be. So um, I'm okay with I'm okay with how they're doing it. I'm actually I'm really happy that they just didn't decide to bag the whole thing. So, um, you know, I, I think tennis needs to be relevant and. If other sports are trying to play, I think we need to try to play also. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And again, there's a camp okay, out there that says, go ahead. I, sorry, just, I was just going to say, and I think we can do it safely, you know? Yeah. So um, I'm okay. I'm okay with restrictions. I'm okay with, you know, bubbles and all these things. I just, I think we need to, we need to be out there. There's a reason health experts continue to say whether it's, you know, uh, the WHO, whether you you turn to whatever organization, the CDC, that tennis is one of the safer sports. I agree with you, and it's just the reality of the world. Tennis is a business, and all of these other sports out there are competing to get their product back out there. And tennis needs to be in that conversation if it wants to be taken seriously as a global product, as it should be, as all of us tennis fans want it to be. Um, Of course, again, we want these players to play safe, to to be healthy, to follow all these safety and health guidelines and um you you know yes i i completely agree with you as long as that is you know the principle that is being followed if they think the u.s open because you're never going to be able to guarantee 100 percent uh safety for all of the players but if you can guarantee you know that these players are taking care of themselves that they're making smart individual decisions as well as all the precautionary measures that the tournament's trying to put in place then yeah i agree with you i think you have to just as a business get along with the problem you have to put it out there if you want to compete. Um, of course, during this time, we have seen, as I mentioned, so many different exhibition events being played around the globe as well. And since I have you here, I want to ask you a little bit about those. But my last U.S. Open question for you, and I know, again, you're a little bit biased. And if you answer Stevie J, I suppose all of our listeners will know uh, your intention here. But we've, you know, there's going to be no Federer in the draw. We haven't really seen from Nadal and you know Djokovic. You want to take his matches. You want to take them seriously. 
seriously, whatever. But give me your five favorite men and women right now entering the U.S. Open. Your five favorites who you think could win. Absolutely no uh, data to back them up. Interesting. All right. Good. Um, that makes it. That makes it an even better topic. Okay. On the men's side, I'm just gonna give a blanket uh, first-time winner. Okay. okay. I like the first. It. We're gonna have a first-time Grand Slam winner on the men's side. On the women's side, I am. Let's see. I will go with. Um, let's see. I'm gonna go with Petra Kvitova as <laughs> one of my. I like Five. that a lot. I like okay. that a lot. I'm going to go with Bianca Andreescu. Interesting. Haven't seen her in a little bit, but I get the pick. A healthy and arrested Bianca Andreescu. Fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to put, uh, I'm going to put Naomi Osaka in there. That's three. Um, I am going to go, uh, let's see here. I'm going to put Allison Risk in the mix. Wow. And, and then for my fifth pick, um, I will go with uh, Amanda Anasimova. All right. I like I'm, Again, Tennis Channel inspired pick. I like all of those things. I would say, given the extraordinary circumstances under which the tournament is playing place, get, uh, taking place, given that there will forever, I'm sure, be an asterisk next to the winner of this event. I think it only makes sense that the winner be Karolina Pliskova, that this be the circumstance that brings out her best tennis that allows her to win her first major. And then everyone's like, well, it was the weird Corona major. Like, does that even count? It's just, it fits her career arc too perfectly. So I'm doubling down on that. Uh, pick how was my pick a Tennis Channel uh, inspired pick? Was, has Weissman been talking her up? <laughs> I mean, Anisimova, Risk, both part of the UTR Pro Series events. Um, right. So, you know, yeah. So right. for me, that that's where I see the tennis channel tie-in, I suppose. Um, no, I like all of your picks. I would love to see a first-time men's winner as well. It's it's definitely going to be a funky event, and it's going to be a lot of fun as well. And that's why I know all of us tennis fans are looking forward to seeing it back on the court. I have a fun stat for you. Here's my one piece of data that I think you should remember. And I think it's a really critical piece of data that... A lot of people have probably forgotten uh, over the course of this year. You ready for it? Ready for it. All right. All right. I'm hyping it up a lot. In 2020, and this is going to surprise you because I don't know if you're aware of this, but Sophia Kennan won a major. And I feel like we have all forgotten about that. Like, poor. Eh, I look, forgot, yeah. <laughs> again, grand scheme of things, you know, it's still just tennis. But, you know, Sophia Kennan Dana? was the young up and comer, was just riding this wave of excellence. And it's just like, wow, what a deflating pin in that balloon. I, I, yeah, I'm going to put her in my top five as well. Um, she, uh, I, I think she's going to be written, like, knowing her, and, you know, obviously I've seen her since she's probably like 10 years old, but she, I think she's going to be ready to go. Uh, I don't think she's going to have lost any ground. I think she'll be a tough out for anybody. I think uh, playing in the, you know, playing in an empty stadium, I actually think will help the players who have not been in these moments before because there's not going to be, you know, the added drama or pressure or whatever from the crowd. I think that the, the top players have shown that they can manage uh, better than others. I think that will be removed, and I think it'll have a little bit more like a practice match feel for the players not practice match feel, but like you know feel like they're in a little bit more of a bubble uh you know no pun intended but yeah i, I think it'll be interesting i think that, that's going to help the players who haven't uh you know come through in a big moment like that before which is why i say two more words again carolina pliskova it's just okay. perfect it it makes too much sense uh i respect your pick 
<laughs> All right, we could leave that there then as well. Well, you know, again, I, I do want to talk to you quickly before I let you go about, you know, we have had the chance during this quarantine period to see tennis make its return and uh, it's been in exhibition form, whether it be the Grand Slam Tennis Tour Series, whether it be, you know, really just events across the globe. Obviously, we talked about the Adria Tour, UTS are the ones that are highlighted, but there have been the European Clay Court Championships. There have been event in the Czech Republic, which I think featured Pliskova, Kvitova, Vondrusova, uh, so many excellent players as well. There have been events everywhere, really. And, you know, beyond ta- any takeaways from the tennis, because I think outside of the extreme positives and the extreme negatives, you can throw every other result out, right? Like the, the Zverev serve is so extremely negative that it is notable. Uh, the fact that Dominic team continues to play every event and win every Every event feels a little bit notable as well. You know, the fact that Brandon Nakashima continues to look exceptional on the Grand Slam Tennis Tour uh, series, that's, again, another thing just because he keeps winning. That's maybe something that stands out as well. Uh, but I'm curious in general, your thoughts on these exhibition events, how they've highlighted tennis during this time period, uh, and then ultimately, you know, your thoughts on the ultimate tennis showdown and just the four-quarter atmosphere. I guess your your thoughts on the roles of exhibition events in tennis really valuable tool you know maybe for two reasons one it puts the player in a situation that's a little bit more interesting than a regular practice and two it forces them to practice it gives them something to practice for so i i think that's kind of where the value is um you know playing matches and having a chair empire who's calling the score like makes it that you know it just makes it a little more real than playing a practice set um at some random court so yeah, I think it's uh, I think there's you know a good value there. I know that um, you know I don't think the results are you know I, I relevant. Take each, I take I take each result with a grain of salt, you know, just sure. because there's no um, you know you're not necessarily playing for something tangible. But I do think it gives the players, like I said, it gives the players valuable reps. I think the players who have played a lot of matches. Uh, this summer will look better. I think they're going to have a big advantage playing the tournaments that matter in the fall. Mm-hmm. That, that's, no. that's my that's my biggest thing. I think the match reps, not necessarily the results, but the actual reps of playing matches, I think will serve those players really well uh, going into the fall, just like the players who play world team tennis, I think will have a big advantage going into Cincinnati. Yeah, and I've talked to so many players during this quarantine. That's the thing they keep repeating. They can't remember the last time they went this long without playing a tournament or some sort of match, and that's the thing they are most concerned about replicating is how can you replicate that competitive environment in practice, the stresses of you know 40-30 or 30-40 break point or whatever it may be. And so, yeah, there could be some sloppy tennis at the beginning as well, but it's good to have these players get these reps, and even if it's not in the most traditional form, form and you know again as someone who i know is a proud progressive uh what have your thoughts been on uts on the four quarter format on you know the one two three four five six seven eight nine ten scoring the you know the fact that i look at that scoring format i look at the quarters one and it reminds me a lot of the sort of practice sessions i go out and play with my friends when i'm texting rothman and i'm saying hey let's go hit and he's saying yeah of course we're playing best of three when we're feeling adventurous and in good shape best of 
to five ground stroke games. We're playing, you know, again, if we're in good shape to 21, if not to 11 or 15. It's just very relatable. And I don't know if there's a place in it for it in sanctioned ATP, WTA, ITF pro events, but there's definitely a place for it, I think, in everyone's tennis fan experience. Is that fair? I totally agree. I'm all for different formats and different scoring methods. I don't necessarily think uh, an influx of like team competition is the way to go. I think keeping it uh, keeping it unique, I think, is what gives it the value. But I do like these different scoring formats. I like fast four. I like what Patrick's doing. I just I love that. I like that Patrick is not afraid to think outside the box and you know do something different. Because yeah, like at some point we're gonna have. A generation of, of people that have really short attention spans with the buying power and you know they might not want to go to best of five set matches which your boy ben rothenberg doesn't want to go to to begin with but so <laughs> um you know i think uh at some point tennis may need to respond and be agile and if, if anything that we've seen so far this pandemic uh, we've seen a lot of people in the industry be agile, be dynamic, and get these things off the ground. I mean, you know, Chick must start doing his things in Florida, and then um, Andrew and Grand Slam Tennis Tours and Sam Duvall got their match series going, which has been awesome. And a number of other people, you know, have responded by doing different things. Um, you know, Patrick Savan, the Czech guys, the Battle of Britain, I think is what it's called, is going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... You know, it's been an opportunity for people to reimagine competition. I think there could be even more of that. You know, if, if for some reason something happens and the tennis in the fall gets canceled, I think we'll see um, some more creative things get off the ground. But I like, you know, I like where people are going, and um, I like that people are have not been afraid to try uh, to try new things. I think it's really cool. Yeah, no, I completely echo you. Have you gotten to see watch any of the UTS? I have not. I mean, just highlights that I see on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, no, I, that I, counts. I like, well, sorry. No, the, I was going to say that counts. Yeah. I just, I like, you know, the, the players are playing. It looks like they're playing pretty hard. And I like that, you know, again, I just like that, that, that Patrick's trying new things. Like, um, you know, the, the four quarters format or like the, you know, the cards and stuff. I, I, you know, it's, it's creative and it's fun. And I think people, I think the players are into it too, actually. Yeah, when you're coaching young kids, do you do that at times when you're like, hey, winners are worth three. Hey, it's only one serve. Hey, it's no bounce doubles. I feel like, the, again, these are all things I have, power-ups is the wrong word, but these are all different skill things or different, you know, I suppose, incentives that are applied in a practice session. And, you know, ultimately that's what this is. It's a glorified practice session. And, you know, part of the conversation in tennis that's been going on forever is, is the season too long and how could they space it out better? Why not just to make an extended, you know, a longer period between the end of the French Open and the start of the grass season and build in a six to eight week period where you can play things like world team tennis, where you can have these ultimate tennis showdowns as well, give these players a little bit of a reprieve during this time, but still offer them outlets to go compete. Like, I feel like that's a win-win for everyone. I think one of the things we need to continue to be responsive to is the value in access you know so when um you know when the players put on headsets and do interviews like you know in between sets or whatever or if we get some you know behind the scenes uh you know video here or there or like you know people saw the last dance and they saw so much you know behind the scenes access to the bulls and like stuff in the locker room and at practice like there's so much value in that and if we can continue to deliver that especially 
you know, if we're looking at playing some fall tournaments with only television and no fans, I think we can, you know, if, if tennis is, is smart, and I know there's a lot of smart people involved, if we can do more things where there's enhanced access um, through the medium of television, like, I, I think it's going to, that's how we grow the game, you know? And that's how we mm-hmm. get people following storylines. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. The, again, I think that's what I've learned during this time period is I don't know everything that I like about all of these exhibitions. There are certainly things that are redundant. There are certainly things that I wish I could brush up, but I absolutely love the concept of them. And again, improving the exe- execution, improving all of these things, taking the best from each part, uh, you know, whether it be a team aspect, whether it be, again, the casualness, the laid back attitude of UTS. And yet, despite it being that laid back attitude, uh, it still feels like, as you mentioned, these players have bought in. That's something that if we can capture in tennis and, you know, uh, show it more to not just tennis fans, but the broader sports fan base in general. Uh, I do think it will help grow the sport. I completely uh, agree with you there. So I am hopeful that we can find a place for all of these events, even in the post quarantine world, when hopefully, you know, the ATP, WTA, ITF schedules uh, return to normal because it's been really fun seeing all of these players play in different environments. Uh, I The reason I asked you, have you been able to watch any of UTS is just because uh, I'm currently watching a match on Tennis Channel in the background. You know, we are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, so I got to get those numbers up. They help me as well as, you know, they help you too, I suppose. Um, but uh, just curious, what do you think about the lower set camera, about, you know, the player side angle? I I love it. Just seeing the action, and right now I'm getting to see Dominic Team and Stefano Tsitsipas uh, play. And by the way, Dominic Team deciding to play after hearing Grigor tested positive, that's a decision we don't even have to talk about. Ultimately, it's a personal decision. Ultimately, you know, UTS says he was tested twice and passed uh, both tests or, you know, tested negative. The question is, you read some things, you say, well, if you're positive for COVID, it doesn't actually show up until a little bit later. Uh, should he be playing? We don't have to discuss that right now. But I do want to, again, the players side court camera angle I should say a little bit lower but I think you get to see a lot more of the action on the ball I love it what says noted burrito critic and BC Eagle Mark Lucera um I've been a big fan of it for a while I just think uh, I mean I think I think it's the best view in tennis to be honest I want to see you know I want to see the the shape of the ball you know I want to see um I want to see how athletic the players are. You know, I think I think it, it highlights that in a lot better uh, manner. And that's actually one of the things I was talking with. Um, I was talking with Stephen Armitage after the first uh, UTR event, and I was just saying, um, you know, I was talking about the importance of the camera angle and uh, if there was, you know, just because they, they had a lot of dead space um, at that site, and I was just, you know, I was just talking about the camera angle and how I thought if they could. You know, have a little tighter camera angle. I thought it would really look good. But, yeah, I love this. I, you know, I actually just flip on the match right now. Um, I love seeing the shape of the ball. I love seeing, you know, I, I just like watching sports, I guess, from this view because I like seeing, you know, like in, in football or basketball, I like seeing, you know, the holes, you know, open up. And I like seeing the players, you know, moving. And uh, in tennis, I like, I like seeing the court open. I like seeing the guys, you know, I feel like the patterns stick out a little bit more this way. And, uh yeah, I just I think it's I just think it's a better showcase of the game with how athletic these guys are and how big they hit the ball. Yeah, no, no, no. watching a Dominic 
uh, Dominic team ball just take off on the court. It is just something else. And, you know, I even like the nicknames, the Greek God. I'll forever refer to Alexi Paparin as the sniper. I just think that's too good. Like how this guy becomes the sniper. Like I get, you know, I think go fend the wall. Like, I think Berrettini's the hammer. So it's like, ooh, the hammer versus the wall. Like, I'm intrigued. Um, you know, they have my attention. I'm team corny jokes. And it, it's full of nacho cheese, but in the best sort of way. So, you know, there again, I think there's a place for that in tennis. And I think the reception we've seen in general is that fans uh, seem to be in favor of it as well. Um, all right, my last question for you, because you texted me and, you know, I, I sent out a tweet yesterday. And this is, again, what happens when my roommates leave me home alone in Indianapolis is I can just nerd out on tennis without fear, uh, you know, of being judged. One time it was like 1 a.m. I think it was like a four podcast day and I was just sitting there. I was like, huh, do I still like watching tennis? And so I'm sitting at our kitchen table watching tennis. Super producer Daniel Westoff comes out of his room. He's like, Alex, are, are, are you watching tennis? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. Sorry. And, you know, it, it was almost like he caught me watching something else. We'll leave that something else up to your imagination. Uh, uh. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, I guess, uh, uh, my question to you, because I know you saw it, Junior U.S. Open, you saw some of the draws. I'm going to read to you just a couple of the fields. You tell me which one appeals most to you. 2003, Baghdadis, Sanga, Murray, Baker, Sela, Scoville, uh, Murgia, or uh, I think the last one was Montcourt. So that's 2003. Ended up being Sanga over Baghdadis in the final. It's a juicy field. 2015. Tsitsipas, Chapo, Dimenauer, Fritz, Paul, Umber, Rude, Kesmenovic, Opelka, FAA, all in the draw. In the semifinals, Tommy Paul beats Dimenauer 0-0, and then in the final, Fritz knocks off Tommy Paul in three sets to take home the title. Which one appeals more to you? Uh, I'm curious. Uh, Monfils must have lost early that year, right? Oh three, I, I think it's I think oh three he gets ups or I think it's oh four he gets upset by Troisky. I think oh three he was still unseated. I'm gonna go with oh three. I think you know I, I I think if the guys in 2015 can have careers like the ones in oh three, uh, I'd be pretty impressed. Um, I, I I stand by oh three for now. Yeah, that's fair. I guess is there. Uh, is there a Grand Slam champion in the 15 group? I would say yes. One of those guys will give. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And so 03 only produced one Grand Slam champion, at least in singles. And so that's worth mentioning. I also think people just don't remember. And I, so 2003, uh, 2003 U.S. Open, I would have been seven, turning eight that next month. But I, I had an older brother who was also a fan of tennis at the time. And Scoville Jenkins was a household name for us. I feel like he was, you know, if you're talking 2000s USTA tennis, he was one of the best juniors to come through the USTA ranks at that time. True or false? He was a stud too. Like he was, he was so strong and great athlete, big hitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was. You know, but it just goes to show you like how difficult it is to transition from the juniors to the pros. And um, you know, it's uh, it's a bummer because that was kind of a little lost uh, space for like American men's tennis. There was a little period there where you know the well went a little cold um, or a little dry, excuse me. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people may not may not remember the name, but if you were around at that time, you definitely knew. Scoville Jenkins was. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, guy was an absolute assistant coach at Wisconsin. Is that right? Or is it, I think so. Else? 
No, I think he was at Wisconsin. I don't know if he's still there. I mean, look, there were some some uh, stinkers. 2006, not a great draw. Uh, I think that's the one Peter Polanski ends up winning. All due respect to him, outstanding player. But you look in the court uh, in the quarterfinalists, only one guy ended up ever cracking the top 50 in the ATP singles. That guy was Donald Young, uh, and obviously he had quite the up and down career. But yeah, as you mentioned, all, the reason I went through all these is. I'm trying to look for trends. Is there, you know, something you can see in junior players that is more uh, likely to lead them to have success on the pro tour? And the next deep dive I want to do is of the French Open. See how do things translate success in the juniors on hard court versus success in the juniors on the clay? Because off the top of my head, I can also already think of guys like Munar and, you know, Christian Guerin and even young Alex Zverev, who I think all three of those guys were junior French Open champions. All three of them, you know, Zverev in particular had a ton of success early in his career on the clay it did seem like they were able to translate pretty quickly Uh, obviously Dominic Thiem a guy who had made junior French Open final um, and then you know he obviously transitioned pretty quickly as well so I'm just looking for those little trends but as of right now yeah it's really you know you can look at those quarterfinals and it's a crapshoot picking a name to say yeah I think that guy's gonna be good although again when I look back in time and sorry for keeping you on longer uh, at this point than I promised but guys like Tsitsipa Zverev, you know, Dimonauer, FAA, all of these young guys ascending up the rankings, they were all top juniors as well. And I think that's why I'm, I have been so excited about this next-gen cruise. They've been the best in their generation for a while, and they've continued to sit on top of that generation even as they've, you know, ascended atop the pro game as well. And slams in juniors, the big four one? Uh, I think Federer has a doubles. He may have a singles one as well. And Murray won the U.S. Open 2000. I mean, I just went through that one. I think 2004, but that's not big three. I guess that's big four. Um, I said big four. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would say I'm going to say they have two between them, Murray and Federer. Just curious. Is that is that right? Oh, oh. Were you asking, or are you do you have the answer? Because but, you know, I you know, obviously we know that success in juniors is not a. Um, it's not totally doesn't mean you're gonna you know have the same success obviously in the pros but uh i was just curious how those guys worked out yeah yeah no no no. they did okay uh i'm i'm looking at wikipedia right now and i have to go to a separate career statistics page for all of them so usually when you've got two wikipedia pages it means you were successful in life right Right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, I see one page on you is, you know, on your coaching, and then there's a separate page on, again, your top spin lob and why it needs work. Um, <laughs> but I think that, uh, yeah, but I think I was the person who uploaded that. So, uh, you know, that, that one's Five on me. 508, most handsome U.S. Open junior boys final. Yeah. <laughs> so I did some research. I looked into it. Ryan Sweeting, underrated, uh, just character, I suppose, from the last... 10 years of American tennis. And yeah, I do remember I was like 12, 13, 14. And there was a moment when everyone was like, oh yeah, Ryan Sweeting's the next big thing. He's so popular. You know, he's dating the star of the Big Bang Theory. And I was like, really? I was like, I think even I've seen that show. You're talking young Sheldon? Um, But yeah, I mean, so that's a good one. I mean, Dimitrov being in anything sort of takes the case, right? And I mean, Shardy's a good looking guy. And, you know, I have had the chance to sip wine with Shardy looking over the balcony of the beautiful Stone Mountains. Um, you know what? Because of that, I'm going to give that the bump. I'm going to say the fact that I've actually spoken to Jeremy Shardy gives him the slight edge over Grigor Dimitrov and Devin Britton. Although Devin Britton, and again, great guy, college champion. I remember exactly where I was when Federer worked him. 
in that U.S. Open first round because I was like, man, this Devin Britton guy is amazing. And then I was like, oh, man, Roger Federer is really good. Um, but anyways, again, this is me going off on a tangent. I would say I'm going to go with Shardy just because, again, clickety-clack. Got to gotta plug the guy I know. And like which final together, which combined. So, yeah, I, I go with, I'll go with those guys. I go with Shardy and uh, – I go with Shardy and Sweeting. Yeah, anytime you're associated with the term hottie toddy, I just feel like there's an upside on how good-looking you can be. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, right? That makes sense. I mean, Mississippi fans, you know I love you. But, um, yeah, I, I we'll leave that there. A lot of Eli Manning face is what I think of when it comes to Devin Britton. But, anyways, you know, again, okay, that's a perfect point to leave it. Um, Mark, thank you to you uh, again for taking the time to chat with us. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, final thoughts uh, go out to Grigor. I hope he uh, gets through this quickly, and I hope everyone else uh, tests negative <laughs> and uh, we're able to get some tennis going soon enough. World Team Tennis, and then uh, you know DC, Cincy, New York. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Are we going to be seeing any stuff from you soon? You're going to be popping on our tennis channel screen soon. TV uh, for the World Team Tennis, and it'll be picked up on you know the three networks that cover tennis at CBS Sports. Um, ESPN and uh, Tennis Channel, so I'm really excited. You gonna go shave or no shave? Oh, fresh shave, no scruff. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't go scruff on TV. I think that's a bad look. Yeah, that's fair. Have you gotten a haircut yet? My guy opened uh, a week ago, and I went in full mask. Obviously, I respect the guidelines that Governor Newsom has put in place. And um, yeah, full mask. Got the haircut. Feeling great. Feel like a new man. This is why they call you the most handsome man in in uh, tennis media because you have a guy when it comes to your barber. Uh, I'm sure Weissman has a guy too, though. Let's be honest. I do not have a guy. Uh, I have not gotten a haircut yet. My older brother, honestly, pretty complimentary. He said, you look like a cross between a homeless person and Hugh Jackman. And I was like, so I'm the Hugh Jackman of homeless people? I feel like that's a win. Like, I feel like that's a net positive, right? I, I, I agree. I think uh, Hugh Jackman's, you know, recognized as being a pretty handsome gentleman. And uh, now I've done the long hair before, so long hair doesn't bother me. But when you go short hair, like I've been like the last like you know year or two, uh, when it gets in that middle stage, it's what drives me nuts. So that's why I felt like I needed to get a haircut. Oh my god! I mean, I it's attack of the curls right now. Like I've got it's it, again. You can very much tell I was bar mitzvahed, uh, I suppose, and we can leave that there. Um, but again, Mark, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Hope you stay safe and healthy. And one of these days, we'll both be at a tournament once again. We'll get to see each other's smiling faces in person. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to talk tennis as always. Shout out to the entire CR crew. Oh, appreciate you saying that. Take care, Mark. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the one and only Mark Lucero. Of course, we always love Mark having uh, having Mark on our Cracked Rackets podcast. So, uh, again, a big shout-out to him for taking the time to chat with us. And, again, if you want to hear any more about these topics, because the U.S. Open has really been the story in tennis over the past couple of days, I would say over the past maybe 10 days, uh, be sure to go check out the Great Shot podcast we did last week. I did one with Monday Match Analysis show host Gil Gross. It was on his 
pod on video, or I should say on his YouTube channel. We turned it into a podcast. Also had a great conversation with No Challenges Remaining podcast host, writer for the New York Times, Ben Rothenberg, where we talk about similar stuff to what I talked about with Mark Exhibitions, the U.S. Open, the recent string of player activism we've seen in the wake of the tragic killing of George Floyd, all of these things and more. Again, these are the central topics right now throughout the tennis world, and we have tried to talk about all of those things on our Cracked Rackets podcast. Of course, mini break-wise, if you're not already, listen to our Getting to the Point episodes we're doing with our friends at Aerobar. Guests such as Bjorn Fratangelo, Michael Russell, Jay Berger, Richard John Menzing, all fantastic conversations as well. Uh, things you don't want to miss, especially because nutrition, fitness, uh, things all of us can control in our lives, even when we're in quarantine. And so, you know, it's great advice. It's great stories as well. Just podcasts I know you listeners will enjoy, so be sure to go check that out. Uh, of course, Cracked Interviews Wise, last week was Florida Week. We had Sam Riffis, Oliver Crawford, the All-Americans in both singles and doubles for the men's Gators team uh, during this 2020 season. Riffis, a guy returning back to college. Crawford making the decision to go pro after his junior year. So two really interesting conversations. Of course, we've done so many great Cracked interviews. So, you know, go like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shop podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, and the Inside Out podcast to ensure that you don't miss any of our outstanding Cracked Rackets content. Of course, if you missed our big story from last week, Oracle making the decision to discontinue the Oracle Pro Series and Oracle Challenger events, you can read more about that on our website, CrackedRackets.com. And, you know, you can find all of our content there on that website. You can check out our YouTube channel as well, the latest episode of Hit and One, Overserved, CR Classics, our video interviews like the one we did with Bethany Maddox-Sands and Monica Pui, uh, all of that on that Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Hit subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And again, all of our content can be found on that website, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Again, I was home alone this weekend, and it was just me, and you know, I ended up tweeting out the draws of every U.S. Open Junior Boys Singles event that's occurred since 2003. That shows you how lost I am without them. So shout out to the two of them as well for making all of this content here possible at Cracked Rackets. And shout out again to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code Cracked15. We are so grateful for the support from our sponsors here on the show. And again, you miss any of the content, CrackedRackets.com. You want to reach out to us directly, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to message me. I'm at GreatShotPod. Uh, but with that being said, for our wonderful guest, again, Mark Lucero, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at both Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.